0: Welcome to another episode of One Things Policy. And in today's episode, we will be talking about a special session of the World Health Assembly. And I have with me Rutheraj uh, Govaikar, a colleague from Dakshashila Institution joining me today. Welcome, Rutaraj for this episode. Now, before we begin, let me give our listeners a very short introduction to our institution. The Dakshashila Institution is an independent, non-partisan think tank and a school of public policy. And we have education programs that last from one semester to one year that are tailored specifically for people like you. They're all online and you can take them from anywhere. Currently, we have admissions open for a 12-week graduate certification program in health and life sciences. And the program begins from the 15th of January, 2022. And the application deadline is in two days. That's the 12th of January, 2022. Do hurry up and apply. Now, coming back to our uh, episode today in hand, World Health Organization, WHO, had arranged a special session of the World Health Assembly, where they had discussed about the need for a treaty for pandemic management, which had happened last year. Now, this is what we wanted to discuss today as to what exactly, what led to this treaty, what exactly happened during this discussion and what was the result of it. Now, before we uh, start into the idea of what exactly happened in it, uh, let's talk about some of the terminologies because there's going to be a lot of jargon involved in this discussion. So like, you know, public health, emergency of international concern or PHE's IC or and all of those. So like Rutraj, could you talk about what these terminologies are and like give us an introduction to it please?
1: Sure, sure. We will try to keep the jargon at a minimum. There is not actually much jargon, but there are actually a few terms which are often used very interchangeably in media or even during normal course of discussion and that leads to a bit of confusion. So I thought Let's get those things sorted. So when we are speaking about a treaty or a protocol or accord, we are clear what we actually mean. And these different treaties have different, you know, gravity and different legal standing in the international arena. And that's why let's get this sorted. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is treaty, of course. We have heard treaty in terms of, you know, multilateral treaties or bilateral treaties between Nations, especially think of the first world war, the second world war was so myriad of treaties that might have led to, I know, defense treaties, especially that might have led to wars. But what essentially treaty means, it's an international agreement. It can be between two parties or many parties or a group of nations on one hand and a single nation on the other hand. And these treaties have a legal standing in international law. So if somebody... Doesn't adhere to the treaty. Any one member who has signed the treaty, they can be sued in the international arena. So the treaty is the highest form, and there are there is a stick at the end of it that is you can actually be sued. Now think of a convention being what is what actually goes down in the treaty. Let's say the treaty once the treaty has been signed, you actually have a document with a series of action items and do's and don'ts and that thing th- accordingly thought of a convention or a protocol. A uh, convention, rather. Now, let's say in the future people want to change certain aspects of the treaty, similar to constitution, and that amendment to a treaty is the protocol. So, treaty, convention, protocol—it's—it's it's, it's, these are related things. And the, a lower rung, it's something called as an accord. Now, in accord, of course, there is you know agreement between parties. There's a contract, but there is a way for a particular party to exit this agreement in exchange for some other benefit. So a treaty is far more rigid. And accord has a leeway. People can exit. There is an exit mechanism. And then there are lesser things like agreement where where nations or multi-government organizations, multinational organizations agree on a particular aspect. And they just declare that, yes, we are on the same page regarding, let's say, climate change or terrorism or in this case, uh, let's say, pandemic management. But agreement is not legally binding ads per se. It is, as the name suggests, just two entities saying that we agree on a particular issue. So now that I hope these things are clear, we can dive into the actual topic. That is the proposal of a global pandemic management treaty and uh, a particular session that happened at the world uh, that was organized by WHO and what actually led to that.
0: Uh, Right. Thank you for actually telling us about what these terminologies are because I'm getting them out of the bay because a lot of times people, you know, when you're unaware of something or you don't, you're listening it for the first time, knowing what we're talking about actually helps, right? Now, deep diving into this entire topic, You said that, okay, earlier climate change conventions and all have happened. Now, pandemic is something fairly new and we know that a lot, all of us dealt with it and all the countries, uh, you know, sort of came together in whatever way possible and stuff. So, but what exactly was the need for, uh, for WHO to sort of like, Come, uh, say that okay we all need to come together to you know come up with a treaty to deal with it because I'm pretty sure every country was dealing at their own pace or like in their own capacity and stuff so what was the need for them to sort of like come up with something like this
1: yeah so the main impetus for this was what was happening last year during the second wave so during the you know, second wave you know vaccines were sort of being ready some people were already administered the first wave have subsided, so we knew how things look, how strained the public health of nations are. And yet, in spite of these lessons of the first wave, nations didn't really seem to have learned anything. The second wave was particularly nasty. A new variant had emerged. People, there was a bit of hesitancy when it came to sharing data. It There was hesitancy when it came to sharing patents uh, regarding vaccines. There was a lot of misinformation regarding what sort of standardizing medical protocols especially what medications to give also there was a clear miscommunication between who heads of states and actually the frontline workers uh, that were responsible to protect medically as well as in other ways and one more thing that who felt is that who cannot they cannot on its own declare a known global pandemic what it can had best do is declare a public health emergency of international concern. That is PHEIC. And this PHEIC is, I mean, the, the nations, part of the WHO don't have, really have to, you know, adhere to it. It's just a series of guidelines. So WHO felt that it doesn't really have the power when it actually has all the global data. In spite of having that, it couldn't, you know, inform the nations. And, and then one of the reasons was because there was no a strong legal, you know, global document that could give WHO this mandate to declare a global health emergency, or rather, it just could declare an emergency, but not a full-blown pandemic. And these were the series of things that led to WHO 3D. And moving forward, what they did in, in early last year, 2021, is that they set up a 13 member committee. These people were independent of WHO. These were not WHO scientists. They were people from outside. Though WHO had commissioned these people, and they they did a retail analysis uh, of what actually went wrong, especially during the second wave, and they, they released this to WHO as well as to the other nations. And I mean, their conclusions were nothing you know surprising. It was the same thing that nations had you know had started prioritizing their own people. Nations who invested. Uh, in vaccines were not willing to share there was a bit of vaccine nationalism that set in one more worrying aspect was that there was a lot of misinformation that had crept in and even right now even after a few months after the report was actually written you see the same things in Africa the vaccines vaccine penetration is barely in single digits while in western nations it's more than 80% and now some nations are thinking of a, a booster dose, that is, three doses. So there's a huge inequality. Plus, there were a lot of times when data was not being shared, so the committee came to the came to very you know, obvious conclusions that there has to be a very stringent global way to help to ensure that in case of a, of a next pandemic, as well as. Till this pandemic is over, these things are not repeated with every wave or with every year, or with every year, or with every emergent of a new variant. That was the main thing that led to this
0: thought. Okay. Thank you so much for giving that background, Rudraj. Continuing with this conversation, I think one other very important question, because you mentioned what treaty is and all of that, right? So what exactly does this treaty contain? You spoke about like how there was no data shared as well as like how um, vaccine inequity was there in and around the world and how countries prioritized their own people rather than, and sometimes you can justify that rightfully so, right? Like in, in times like these, it's a crisis moment and stuff, but. Now, what does this treaty contain? What exactly is written in it and what are the clauses and, and stuff like that? Could you tell us in more in detail about it?
1: So we are actually very far from signing a treaty or even coming up with a draft. What actually happened in November, December 2021 is that a special session of the World Health Assembly was you know, organized and this was basically to kickstart the process to draft a agreement or a international you know treaty the idea is to of course adhere to the constitution of the world health organization include all governments as well as you know commercial entities scientific organizations scientists so that everybody is on board it shouldn't be a lone effort by government uh, without considering the ground reality so we are very far away from the treaty what actually happened uh, is this thought and this idea to float a draft was, you know, sort of initiated. And this process will take a lot of time in the sense in November 2021, December 2021, uh, the special assembly was held. Now that this idea has been floated, they would meet meet again in March 2022 to agree on a series of timelines. And in August 2022, a working draft would actually be put forward and deliberations would uh, start. And then the idea is that when the 76th World Health Assembly takes place in 2023, at that time, we would have actual draft where the nations could then bring in their own suggestions and then voting would happen. So it's it's a long process. We, they have just started the first step.
0: Thank you so much for actually telling me what uh, this entire thing is. Before we continue, we are going to take a short break and be back in some time. Hello, and uh, welcome back to All Things Policy. Rutharaj and I were discussing about uh, the pandemic response treaty and continuing with that conversation, Rutharaj, you had told about the timelines, right, as to when they were. They met last month and that they are in the process of drafting this treaty as well as like what their next step is and by okay. when do they put want to put forward this uh, treaty and stuff? Now, what exactly will this treaty cover in totality? You know, Can you tell us more about that, please?
1: Yes. So the first thing that the treaty wants to address is a data sharing because we have realized now that the, the, when a pandemic of this nature, especially infectious diseases emerges, you cannot restrict your thought to a particular geographical boundary or a national boundary because this pandemic spreads. So what we need is a very, very robust data sharing. So that is the first thing this treaty is going to address. The second thing it's going to address is how to have mechanisms so that in case of a future pandemic, we don't have shortages of PPE and basic medications, medicines in any region of the world. And also when a new protocol, a treatment protocol emerges, maybe a vaccine could be a procedure or a medicine, how quickly to ramp up the production and then to supply everyone, each and every nation. And that's where the suggestion that the players, that is the industries and the research institutes, should be part of this draft comes in. Because without considering what is the ground reality of production of these kits or these procedures, these medical instruments, we can't really come up with any protocols. Because we need to know how much we can deliver. So these these are the three broad things that the Global Pandemic Management Treaty wants to address rather.
0: Right. That's actually quite uh, well thought of. And like, you know, I hope it will be and I'm pretty sure it will be written also as nicely. Now, is this the first time something like this being drafted, like, you know, for the global response in terms of like Global Pandemic Response Treaty? in terms like has this happened before now there has been epidemics and you know previous health concerns or and stuff that has come into the world that has become the concern of the globe right now this is the first time I'm hearing of something like this so I wanted to know and I'm pretty sure the listeners also kind of want to know is that has there been an example previously of something like this happening can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, so it's very strange that, you know, WHO, UN have been in action since 1948-47, but this sort of a global treaty to address a health issue is new in the sense, it's not really new. This is, I would say, this very few instances have taken place. This being this only the second instance. And remember, we have not even passed this. So we are still in the talks of a draft. So in, for all practical purposes, only one such attempt took place in two thousand three. I think so, and that was related to the tobacco health, rather health issues related to tobacco consumption. Now this is a very interesting thing because of all the pandemics, like you as you mentioned during a previous discussion, measles, the polio, smallpox, many things can you know be thought of as a, a very severe uh, diseases that can lead to pandemics or even local uh, issues, but these were not addressed to such an extent that the WHO thought of a legal treaty, but tobacco as an issue was addressed. And what gave impetus to this was after you know globalization, liberalization, where many treaties took place, free markets were sort of the concept of free markets were introduced to nations which were you know not part of uh, free markets per se. Uh, tobacco, especially from you know Western companies was being marketed to other nations, developing nations. And what had happened was there were a lot of restrictions in terms of marketing and health labels in US and uh, let's say EU region, but somehow these were not there in other parts of the nation. So these tobacco companies focus their marketing and their sales to uh, countries like, you know, even India, Indonesia, Thailand, and even other African countries as well. And I, I would suggest uh, a book called "Emperor of All Maladies" by Siddhartha Mukherjee. It's it talk. It's mainly The book is mainly about cancer, but it, a substantial part of the book talks about how the tobacco lobby, especially in US, prevented real research connecting tobacco consumption to cancer. It prevented this this form of research to come out, and they also funded very bad research to to put forth counterclaims saying that tobacco actually has health benefits. Uh, so it's You read that, you would understand how strong internationally the tobacco lobby was. So what the WHO thought that to protect citizens of the the entire uh, earth, we need such a treaty because tobacco-related issues were becoming almost a pandemic, if I can say that. And that's why such a thing was done. It's called the WHO Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, who FCTC, And what it did was it ensured things like a, there should be more education regarding what tobacco usage leads to in terms of health benefits. Then it set in measures to ensure what can go into a tobacco product because tobacco industry was unregulated. It often in other countries it, it is small scale, small industry, and you can have a lot of adulterants. It can be more toxic, and then it led to packaging and labeling standardization where health warnings were a must on the on the boxes and packaging it actually prevented uh, tobacco products being advertised so if you have realized in india or actually anywhere in the world you don't see hoardings or you know advertisements on tv or on the internet actually selling tobacco uh, products and that is because of this who fctc convention There's also things like tobacco products shouldn't be sold near education institutes. And we see it in India in the last couple of years. There were active campaigns to to shut down tobacco shops, your panwala shops, basically, which were near schools or even colleges. These all things are a result of this WFCTC convention. So what I'm trying to come at is that when such an issue is taken at the international level and a global treaty is used to address this. It can be really powerful to check because there is a lot of awareness in terms of tobacco's tobacco's relation to ill effects on health. If the world, you know, polls suggest there is actually a decrease in the way tobacco is being consumed all over the world, and one of the main reasons is this this treaty. So there is a precedent, but we just have one, you know, prior international treaty. I hope. The convention, the the new proposed treaty on pandemic actually has this, you know, strength to help prevent, you know, mismanagement. We can't really control the emergence of a new disease and the pandemic. But what we can, we can, especially, we can definitely see that we don't repeat the same mistakes as we did in the second wave. And now probably we are uh, repeating the same mistakes in the third wave as well.
0: Right, that actually was quite interesting because I think when we talk about like pandemics or any sort of global concern, polio and measles and smallpox and all of those come would be the first thing to come into our head, right? But the fact that they did this for tobacco and they did see very good results out of it kind of gives sort of like a positive is like positive hope for. Uh, people that you know something like this could work for uh, this this uh, pandemic response treaty as well now when we talk about like you know when we as we're talking about the pandemic response treaty one of the questions i had was given the fact that so many countries are associated with who and are members of who have all countries agreed to this are there disagreements regarding this treaty like do all countries unanimously decided that okay they want to have this or was this idea come up by some members of WHO and then there have been disagreements also slash like, oh, they're completely against the entire idea. of having What do you, like, do you think so?
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole concept and the draft is a very ideal scenario. But as you said, uh, many different countries would have different priorities and that's the whole uh, reason that uh, these things take place, right? So some reports indicate right away that from this, First, go US and China are sort of not very encouraging of a you know global treaty uh, for pandemic management. The the reasons are different, uh, and the reports are not clear. But US and you know China are, I would say, that they are not very happy. But this is how the process works, right? I mean, this meeting, the special assembly that took place in December 2021, has sort of set up a discussion, and they have said that we will adhere to the constitution of WHO and stuff like that. Now, when in this year, 2022, people actually sit with the draft, and nations which have problems with certain parts of the treaty, they would bring in their own suggestions. And once a draft is ready, and then it goes to voting in 2023, uh, again nations can vote on a particular aspect of the draft, or some nations might, you know, even opt out completely, so they might not then be part of this global uh, treaties, but they would maybe support it. From outside, or they might only support certain small as certain limited uh, aspects of the treaties, so there is mechanism to include uh, the apprehensions of different countries, and there is of course freedom for a country to completely opt out so then the treaty of course becomes less effective, but the countries which have actually signed this treaty, they are legally held responsible for execution of those uh, convention uh, or those protocols within the confines of their own geography. So yes, I mean, there will be some hits and some misses, but it's high time we actually even, you know, think of this. And the the assembly was the first step in a series of very long throw steps.
0: Yeah, that is actually quite interesting because, I mean, one, I think a follow-up question to that entire thing was, obviously, right now, if a country sort of like opts out then the effectiveness of the treaty, if I may use that word, sort of goes down because there's no contribution from one entire country. But is there an, a chance? I don't I mean, I'm not sure as well as I think I don't know if uh, this thing, but like, is there a chance for a country to be involved in the beginning and then maybe gradually opt out a few years down the line?
1: Yeah, that can happen. And that can happen. Uh, People, countries might bring in a few suggestions, but uh, they might be voted out during the process when the draft is made. And then during the final uh, voting, they might just vote against it. Or let's say, even after signing, uh, they might ratify it in their own uh, parliament. example, you know, US, USA, it has not ratified the climate change agreements in its own, you know, senates and Congress or Again, to take the U.S. example, Trump famously you know, opt out, opted out of the Paris Protocol. So that might happen. Those sort of chances of countries diverging from the global treaty or opting out will always be there. I mean, that's how treaties are. I mean, WHO is not some all-powerful entity that can force everyone. It has to be by consensus.
0: Yeah, yes. yeah, right. Uh, following the previous question that I had was, uh, Rudra, is that in the assembly that we, you mentioned, right, special session of the world health assembly, what exactly had happened for this treaty to come up? Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, so the health assembly concluded, last one, it, I would say, It wasn't a complete success. What happened was the nations which took part in it, they agreed that they will stick to WHO's constitution. So this treaty would fall within that. It won't go over and beyond what the WHO are. They also suggested that international health regulation, something called as an IHR, it's a document that WHO has, that would need to be modified in order to accommodate this particular uh, treaty. So I've talked about IHR in a previous podcast when we were talking about global health surveillance. So IHR is a document which sort of gives the WHO the mandate to collect data about health and diseases globally and then advise other nations. So this document needs to be updated because what this treaty is aiming at is to increase the powers of WHO slightly more. So that was agreed upon. But what was not agreed upon is that the... The legal status, so countries like, you know, Japan, Germany, South Africa, and even the European Council, they were proposing a treaty that is the highest form of a legally binding international agreement. But it seems that a treaty won't be possible, The many people had objections, especially China and US, according to some reports. So what we might get is actually accord. So accord is one or one level below an agreement because as I mentioned initially in the talk, accord allows a particular nation to exit with having less legal problems. So they can, you know, opt out by having some mutual agreements with other member nations. So an accord is less binding. It is less less strict. So what we are going to get is accord, not a treaty as such. Another aspect, which was very hypocritical, that's what I thought. That in the initial, you know, resolution of whatever, of not a resolution, but the, the call for this treaty and the draft, EU was the one who initiated, and they all, then they said the very right things about vaccine equity and vaccine nationalism. But when South Africa and India raised the point about the waiver of patents, especially related to vaccines, and we India and South Africa had already raised this last year. So this point was again raised during this meeting that maybe this accord or treaty, whatever comes out, should have clear-cut points regarding waiver of patents for upcoming treatments. But EU is not forthcoming. Uh, They are not willing to give blanket waivers for patents. So I thought this particular thing was hypocritical and taking the whole argument back to square one. But one, it was not all negative. One thing everyone agreed was, the data sharing should be strengthened and each nation has agreed to it and one of the ways it can be done is through something like what happened with indonesia in the last uh, year so there is a framework called you know pandemic influencer preparedness pip framework and that is again international sort of framework now this arose because of a particular thing that happened with you know indonesia so indonesia had given certain samples of your of regular influenza, and some pharmaceutical company in the West had prepared vaccines, but Indonesia was not given these vaccines. So then, Indonesia, with the sharing of information regarding a particular influenza outbreak in its country, and that that is not right, right? I mean, both things are not right. But to avoid such things, uh, uh, the, the BIP, that is, influenza pandemic influenza preparedness framework, was you know developed. And this ensures that if any country is sharing data, and that data is used to was used to create a vaccine or a medication or anything, then that will be given to WHO, and then WHO would direct this to a particular country. And in the Indonesian example uh, was a very good example in the sense this a uh, problem was seen, and a framework was quickly developed, and the problem was resolved. So something similar is definitely going to go in that pandemic accord that I must call now, because it's it might not end up being a treaty. So yeah, some hits and some misses. That's how, you know, these things happen at the global stage. So let's see over the next two sessions, three sessions, this draft might actually be formed. And then hopefully, if there is a pandemic, I hope there is not a pandemic, but if there is, then we won't be, you know, the nations of the world won't be rushing like we did in the second wave and third wave. And hopefully there are no knee-jerk policy measures, but a, a very calm and scientific approach towards future pandemics. That's what I would say.
0: Yeah, that's actually quite interesting how, you know, high-income countries and middle and low-income countries think about uh, certain issues. Right? I think your are when you were speaking about what exactly happened in the World Health Assembly and the responses and the concerns India and South Africa had and the concerns EU and like US had. So at certain points, they were so different and they they could, they were not meeting at a certain point. That's actually quite interesting. This, this was actually a very insightful and nice, wonderful conversation with Raj. Thank you for joining me and for, uh, telling us about what exactly the global pandemic response treaty is. And I hope when the actual draft comes out following the in the next few months and hopefully back by 2023, we will, you know, in the future, if something, I hope there is not any pandemic in the near future or even in the future. But whenever there is, if there is, I hope, like, you know, like you said, we end up having a very calm and a logical approach towards uh, these things rather than having some knee-jerk reaction to this thing at putting so many lives at risk, right? Thank you for joining me. And this was All Things Policy. Thank you for listening.
1: If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.